Okay, you all good? Let's do it. Hello and welcome to the B2C Lead Generation Podcast. You're listening to the B2C Lead Gen Podcast. My name is Daniel Hopewell here with Simon Delaney and this is episode 75, The Dirty Secrets of Ad Fraud. And if you think that's a cash title, it's because we've pinched it from our guest today. Um, Rich Khan from Nora is back with us on the show. Rich, how's it going? Great. Thanks. Thanks for having me today. Thank you for coming back. It's been a few months since um, we, I guess a few months now, how long has Legion World? Four months ago? It seems like a long time yeah. ago, actually, yeah. um, right. since we saw you. But um, yeah, we, uh, we, we did a little cameo on the podcast, a little 10-minute one we did. There's mini-pods there. And we said at the time, let's, um, let's get you back and do a full one. So firstly, thank you um for joining us and you know checking in with us and to do a form we appreciate it um and yeah like like we said with the title um the dirty secrets of ad fraud let's um look at cracking rich tell us your dirty secrets ad fraud or otherwise there's you know when you when you talk about the dirty secret we actually wrote a three-part series on the whole process because there is a lot of stuff going on and it's 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 really like it's called the dirty secrets of ad fraud but it's really the dirty secrets of ad fraud detection because what's happening is there's so, our, our space is a very profitable space, right? It's a SaaS solution. SaaS is by nature generally profitable. Um, but what's happening is you have a lot of companies popping out of the woodworks to try to get in on the game and they'll do anything to get a client to use their product. So they'll produce products. They'll lie about what their product can do. They'll lie about certification processes. Um, just to get the client on. They're doing a job to try to sell a product. And they start off with a very basic product that they quickly put together. And then they start trying to develop it while they're selling it at the same time. So for example, one of the ones that I pick up a lot of is we've seen uh, companies lying about their certification process. So in our space, we're, we're an extension of cybersecurity. So when you're dealing with a company that's gonna, like for instance, I walk into a company, you're gonna use my software to direct millions of dollars a month or hundreds of thousands of dollars a month of marketing dollars, what should you be buying and what you shouldn't be buying? So you shouldn't just trust anybody to do that. You want to make sure that they have some level of standards. So two companies came out to do certification process, the MRC, which everybody's heard of, right? And TAG. TAG is one of the newer organizations, but they're international. So since we have a lot of international companies, we liked their process and we fought, we <clears throat> went to them for certification. And it's funny, the two companies use the same document for certification. The MRC wrote the document. They both use the same document for the certification process. If I remember correctly, it's like an 87 page report and it takes a, a third party auditor and a dedicated staff member on my team three months to get through the certification process wow. where we have to show code, database stuff, processes, documented stuff. Like, they look under our skirt and see everything that we do. So we have to trust these auditors not to disclose our information to our competitors, obviously. But when it's all said and done after three month review, if you, if you pass the test, then you get certified for running an ad fraud solution doing best practices for that year. Now, every year it changes. We've caught not just one, but probably two to three companies already running around saying that they're either MRC accredited or TAG certified. And then you go to the site, which you can search, and their names aren't there. I search it every every time the certification process comes out, I check it, because I want to know how many of us are there. And there's probably 50 to 100 companies in the marketplace that claim um, that they do some type of ad fraud detection, but there's only eight of us that are actually certified to do it. 
Wow. So whenever I talk to a client, I say, you know, certification is important because at least you know somebody looked at our code, we're following best practices, we're doing what's supposed to be done to solve fraud. Now, of the eight of us, we all have our own angle of how we handle it and our own niche in the market of what we focus on uh, at a certified out of the certified vendors, we're the only ones that focus on the performance-based marketing sector, like lead gen, e-commerce, things like that. But um, that's our niche, right? But at least you know that we we follow some level of standards, and somebody's some third parties actually looked at it. But we got people running around lying about that, or they'll lie about you know the experience that they have in the space. I've seen that where you go straight to the owner's um, LinkedIn profile, and it doesn't match up to what they're selling. To their clients you know things like that i again i probably have one of the longest um histories in the internet when it comes to most people that are still actually actively working on the internet i started my first business in 93 so that puts me at 29 years online online business digital marketing company in 1993 now remember 1994 is when the web browser came I was going to say, I'd love to have seen your website. <laughs> there was none. Yeah. It was an email marketing company. In fact, what I was doing was I was like, I was hooked. I mean, I've been a developer since age nine. I wrote my first game at age nine, got published in Compute Gazette when I was 12. I've been a programmer since as long as I can remember. And when the internet came out where computers can talk to other computers and not have to dial them phone number to do it, I was hooked. So I started writing a blog or I call, I'll call it a, e-news, a newsletter really is what it was. Um, about the ever-changing internet as it was coming about. And I would hang out in AOL at the time. Back back then, they had the chat lines you can jump into. And I would tell people I'm writing articles. Anybody want to join, you know, want to subscribe to my article? And I had over 20,000 opt-ins back in the early 90s. So that was my first. And then people asked to advertise in my newsletter. And I said, sure. And that became my first marketing enterprise in, in, the, uh, in the space. But I've been doing this all along. And fraud has constantly been in the picture every single step of the way because some wherever you're trying to do something right, somebody's trying to do it wrong, right? So these little dirty secrets that pop up, I've been seeing over the last three decades in my history of, on the internet constantly showing themselves. So I've been dealing with it all this time. So we finally got an opportunity inside of uh, with this with my with this company, which has been around five years, uh, to help people fight fraud when it comes to visitor fraud is really what we focus on. We call ourselves an ad fraud solution because that's where it makes a lot of sense. You know, you spend a lot of money on ad, on advertising on average, anywhere from 25 to 35% of that, depending on channels is going to be fraudulent and then identifying where it's coming from. So you can minimize where you're buying the fraudulent traffic, focus on the good stuff, see a big ROI increase. Uh, sorry, I talk fast. I'm originally from New York. <laughs> so, uh, it, it, no, it's, it's fine for us. It's perfect. It's perfect speed. Great cadence. Um, awesome. That's yeah. It's interesting. So what's funny is almost like the guys that are committed to carrying out the fraud are in their own like micro way carrying out a fraud about carrying out the fraud, <laughs> uh, carrying out the protection against the fraud. You know, it's. Yeah. it's that the thing i guess the funny thing from their side is they may as well just either own it and say like we're gonna be tag uh certified or mrc or just not even mention it at all right but it's the fact because it's quite provable like you said so when they go to a client if the if the client is searching the category and they're looking at various different providers and they go oh well they're mrc it's like easy for you isn't it we'll just look on the mrc site you could they're not on there 
Yeah, the MRC is a very easy set to look at. It's it's built on front page or from the mid nineties. It's built. It's it's an older website because they've been around for a long time. But it's a very simple website. You click on, you know, certifications or whatever whatever the title is, and then it gives you a whole list of everybody that's either uh, accredited or in progress of being accredited because their accreditation process takes a while. Um, Ours took, I think, about six months, the initial certification with TAG. It was a little faster. Uh, and we, we were moving fast because we, we knew it was important to have. Like, you want to give some some people you know, some proof of we're doing something more than just saying we're good. We have at least a certification that shows that we're following best practices. Yeah. But I'll give you something. I'll give you a dirty secret that's not in our three-part series. Okay. Here, here we go. This is a, this is a world exclusive. I haven't really talked this, told the story to too many, but uh, we were just talking about with the sales team, affiliate fraud and stuff like that. And the story came up. So I said, this actually would be pretty good for you guys because it's not in our, in our three-part series. So I've seen fraud all kinds, all kinds of fraud that's been happening. So we had a client that came to us. They were using our competitor, weren't happy with them, signed up for us based on a podcast that I did. So that was interesting. And we started, started putting this stuff together and the person who was head of fraud absolutely loved the product. We found $3 million plus a month in fraud. It was about a third of their overall traffic that they were spending on, on affiliate traffic. Wow. And then a couple months into it, they shut it off. So I was like, something doesn't make sense. Long story short, and I can't name names, but long story short, the CEO of the company was responsible for committing the fraud with his friends and some internal employees. Now, the reason they were doing that is they were trying to sell the company. It's just more, it's more money, right? That's it. They're boosting their rate through fraud and they were hoping to use a technology like us because we were certified. That was one of the reasons, one of the reasons why they chose us to say, hey, look, this company's certified and they blessed our traffic. Meanwhile, we didn't. We, we found all the fraud. So see, so he was like, you're costing me $3 million, you absolute asshole. <laughs> <laughs> so they don't want to spend the money with us. Yeah. It's, it's funny you mention that. We've seen similar sort of things, not in terms of the someone in the company, but I have heard of that. Um, uh, but not into like in a completely different way, just with people like dumping leads in and stuff. And, you know, like a lot of people accuse Facebook and Google of potentially allowing fraud to potentially enter because they it's more lucrative for them. And they obviously they deny it completely. But, you know, do they really do everything they can to stop it? Well, let's put it this way. When I got started on the internet, the internet from from the best I, I remember and from what I can research was officially handed over to or went public so that the public can join it. September 1st of 1991. I jumped on the public, I jumped on the internet bandwagon two years later, only because I was in the middle of going to school and I couldn't pay attention to all that stuff. But I got on as soon as I could. And I remember writing new, in fact, I even got written up for one of the first motion graphics on the internet when I built one of a web mall. And I've done a lot of stuff in the space, but it was all just like, just a bunch of techies, you know, working on new stuff because it was just kind of something cool for from the tech side of things to work on. And as you're, as you're building the, the, the company or the internet, it was supposed to be a place for just complete freedom of everything, like no government regulation, no, you know, big companies deciding what you can and can't do. So when you start looking at where some of the big companies are today, this is not what a lot of us in the beginning envisioned. So it's a little frustrating. However, with that being said, uh, when it comes to Facebook and it comes to Google, I... I would personally say, based on what I see, that they generally do try to stop fraud. 
Now, granted, if five or ten percent of their traffic is is fraudulent, they're they're making money off of that, and that's typically what we find uh, on on campaigns from them is five to ten percent of it is fraud. They are doing what they can. For example, on Facebook, we all know that there are fake profiles. And Facebook makes no bones about it. They talk about it. They're doing what they can to, to stop it. But the fraudsters are always one step ahead. They're doing what they can to keep those profiles alive so they can make money off of those indirectly. Yeah. Ever go to Fiverr and find you can buy 10,000 likes to your to your Facebook account for five, five or 10 bucks? That's how they do it, right? So they make money indirectly by having those fake profiles. I do believe that they're doing what they can, but there's still stuff that they're missing. Nobody's perfect. But it's interesting as well. The only reason they can do what they can is because of the walled garden that they've created outside of the mainstream internet. Because otherwise, you'd, it'd be it'd be very difficult to stop, wouldn't it? Yeah. Now, I now in conjunction to that, I am going to say that Google is not helping with the fraud detection world. They're actually they're making changes right now. This is a techie side of the deal, right? They own Chrome. Chrome owns about sixty five percent of the marketplace. They're actually making changes to their browser in the interest of privacy, which actually protects bots. You know, now I'm sure they're not trying to do that. Well, I, I'm not sure. Um, they're not probably doing that intentionally, but when you start block and even look at Apple, Apple basically rolled out that iOS 14, right? We all saw that. And it's supposed to protect the privacy of their users, but they also protect bots. On their network by doing interesting that, that way of putting it because yeah. there's no there's nothing to track yeah no they're trying to reduce the trackability of people for privacy concerns but by doing that you're making it easier for bots to go undetected or human fraud farms to go undetected so they're really not helping but again they're trying to control the market these companies again they're trying to take over internet marketing because it's a, it's a 500 billion dollar a year business worldwide they're trying to take over their marketplace so Really, what's Apple's doing or Chrome's doing is they're blocking it from everybody else seeing it, but they know exactly what's going on. So think of it this way. If the world is a 65% Chrome, that means Google owns that user base in a way. And if they block off their stuff for privacy, but they know what's going on underneath the hood, they're really just blocking out their competitors from being able to track and market to them. So if cookies go away and all this trackability goes away so that you can't do retargeting unless, of course, you work with Google, because Google knows under Chrome, every, you know, it just it, it just becomes a, a, you know, big business taking over the Internet, which is not, again, what a lot of us who started early on the Internet were looking to see. I think this is this is something that a lot of people miss as well, is that um, a lot of this tracking stuff that you mentioned with Apple and with Google, most big changes that happen, whether it's on the internet or in the world, whatever, are, are, um, like people driven, you know, you have an outrage of people that go, we demand this to be changed. And a lot of people think this is the one time that technology is in front of the people and they're doing it for the right moral reasons, because they, these people want to be able to protect their data and sort of, you know, be able to monetize themselves rather than Google or Apple or whoever monetize them. But it's interesting, the point that you make is that Although that is the potential outcome that happens, they're not actually doing it for that reason. They're just doing it because they can make more money from you as an individual within the stake that they have of you on the internet. Yep. And by doing that, because they're 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 not working, they're not playing well in the sandbox, right? So they're by doing that, the bet the the problem is it becomes a lot more difficult for fraud detection. So all these fraud detection companies that are popping up left and right, because they're using Le uh, less than 
ideal standards to, to identify fraud to becoming less and less effective. You know, where a company like us really has to stay on our toes to be able to track this stuff at, at a level that we're tracking. Yeah. I think um, when it comes to something like fraud, it's it's nice to attempt to kind of quantify it if possible. I think people do like numbers. Um, and to give you an example, when we talk about fraud on, you know, in the lead gen space, the number we use like is 35%, the 35% of leads we see that have been through the system are in some way fraudulent or out of spec or, you know, various things. Um, with, you know, from your side of it, if, if possible, can you sort of, can you put a number on the sort of the fraud you see and, and on from that sort of what are the worst channels, what's the highest kind of fraud in certain channels? Sure, sure. So generally speaking, and this is based on new clients that we see coming on board, on average, we catch 25% of their traffic is fraudulent. Now, when we start breaking down channels, so if I have somebody who's doing 100% affiliate, right, I can tell you that the average affiliate traffic fraud that we catch is about 45%, which is equal to one of the biggest marketing channels out there, programmatic. Most people don't realize how, how bad programmatic traffic is, but about 45% of that uh, of traffic is. So it's just as bad as affiliates. Um, let's see. If you look at like Google, Facebook, you'll see 5 to 10% fraud. If you look at like, you know, native companies like Taboola or Outbrain, you'll be somewhere around 15% fraud. Um, let's see who else we got out there channel-wise. Uh, email marketing is all over the place, but on average, probably 20 to 30% fraud. It's just... It's really all over the place. Um, it depends how the how the date is gathered in the first place, doesn't it? I guess that's the thing yeah. with email. Yeah. It's it's all how they get the the email addresses into your system. Uh, so we've talked about programmatic affiliate. Um, who am I missing? Um, I think that's pretty much it. Because it's yeah, those those are the basic channels, and that's why I say I mean we see I've gotten companies that come on board, we find ninety seven percent fraud. I got companies that come on board, we find two percent fraud. Like it all depends on how they're doing their marketing and what they do to optimize their marketing channels. But on average, across the board, you can say one in $4 spent on marketing is lost to fraud. Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? I think, I mean, our exposure is kind of similar to yours in the sense, um, apart from, and I guess the email we track as well. So we're less about like the ad fraud. So we, for example, just call like an API that would be like your solution or someone else's solution or whatever to catch the, um, uh, the metadata fraud we're more about like you know the actual days so of the first party data that's been captured and then the verification of that but what's interesting is that um and it's something we talk about a lot with clients because they'll be like oh you know we want to stop salacious names and we want and i'm like that isn't the problem fraudsters don't use salacious names you know they want real people they want real like numbers they want real email addresses they want you to think this is 100% a real person and they'll do everything they can to like possible to make you believe that um and that can be like a misconception um that people have about fraud i think that it can be it it can be easily found in the data that's submitted as if the, of the individual when in reality it's all it's the background noise that created that data that's uh, where the fraud exists isn't it right it's 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 a crazy crazy space um and that's a problem a good fraudster is going to hide behind all kinds of stuff anything that they can put up to try to do i'll give you a here's a great example um i had a client that came on board was dealing with affiliate-based traffic identified one of their top affiliates as 40 percent fraud 
So he calls me up. He says, okay, I've got a problem. Shows me the situation. We show it. We go through, uh, look at the data. Said, oh yeah, this is 40% fraud. He goes, how sure are you? I'm like, I'm hundred percent certain. We only mark traffic as fraud when we're hundred percent certain that it's fraud. And he goes, I have a call with them today. And he was my college roommate. So is my college roommate trying to screw me? And I'm like, I always believe the good in people. I believe he's not screwing you on purpose, right? He's getting screwed by his sub affiliates yeah. that are hiding behind all kinds. And it could be not just a sub affiliate. It could be a sub affiliate of a sub affiliate. You don't know how far down the chain it goes. Um, so essentially what we did was we had isolated data, found the information and I, and I gave it to him. He went and called his friend up, had a long talk and they quickly identified uh, a single affiliate it wasn't a sub affiliate. It was, it was one of his direct affiliates that was causing the problem. We eliminated that. All of a sudden, the uh, ROI went up. Everybody was happy. The fraud rate went down, and you know he didn't lose a friend over it. So, like I said, it's 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 they will hide in any way they can, but they usually try to fly below the radar. They don't want to be your you're in your top ten affiliates. They don't want to be you know they always they'll create multiple accounts and do it siphon money from your account little by little. And it's always something so difficult to find unless you have a tool um, to help identify where the fraud is. I mean, the, the, I suppose we've identified it in a couple of ways where um, this, and you don't always see this, there can be patterns in the data. So if, like something really simple, it can be like the format that like in the UK, for example, um, a postcode is written in. So, you know, like we've seen data where it's written in the same way on like 200 records in a row. And you're like, the sort of statistical chances of this happening are virtually nil. Yeah. There's this something that's submitting this data in this way. Or you'll see it with, um, I think this happens with click farms in um, other countries where they're not entirely sure of the gender of the data they've got. And they'll start putting titles that don't relate to um, the gender of the name. So it'll be like Mrs. John Smith. And you'll see a pattern emerge like that. And you're like, hold on. That, you know, we've seen a hundred records in a row, and thirty percent of them have got the wrong title attached to the net, like the typical name of a male or female to that name. And you, I think that's you can sometimes catch it, but not always, because you know if they're using like a phone book, for example, and just submitting the data, or they bought a load of list data and they're submitting it, and it has the title. It's um, it can be really hard to track, uh, catch it in the first party data at that point. Very interesting. Yeah, and that there's a lot of craziness out there. So. Yeah, it's just I look at it all. I look at it all day, and, and and sometimes I gotta put my hats off to some of the fraud that I find because they're very creative in doing what they do. Like what you're talking about, you know, is less sophisticated attack because it becomes more obvious. Like when you're sitting on the other end, it looks obvious, but the attacks that we're really focusing, like we catch that, but what we're focusing on is the more advanced attacks where they'll go. Let's say, for example, they use human fraud farms, like human click farms, right? So that typing out the information, let's say in a lead form, for example, looks legitimately typed out by a human. So if they put any bot checks in front of them, they, don't, they pass the test because they're not bots. Then they'll use aged leads. So at one point, somebody put their information into the system for an offer. Maybe it was 90 days old, 120 days old, whatever. They'll take that information and recycle it into a form. So they'll pay pennies on the dollar for the aged leads, recycle it into a form. The data is going to check and pass and if they get enough data, you're never going to be able to identify that because these people actually filled it out. In fact, when the call center picks up and calls these people and says, hey, you filled out a form to save money on your car insurance, most of the time the person's like, yeah, 
and then you'll do your pitch. They're not going to turn around and say, well, I folded out months ago. Most people won't say that. No. So I always instruct my customers always say, okay, by the way, did you fill out the form today or whatever the, the form was filled out? And that's when you'll find out, no, no, I filled that form out like months ago. Now, you know, it's a fraudulent lead or it was entered in fraudulently. I suppose the good thing with like sales qualified leads is it becomes pretty apparent fairly quickly because you know even if you've if your normal conversion rate is 20 percent and you suddenly have 50 leads and it's dropped to one percent it's like you know even if you are contacting them the real problem i see is like in mqls you know marketing qualified leads that a lot of affiliate networks will run so they'll run like signups to i don't know a newsletter about um some new beauty products or something and the client will be paying like you know two three dollars per lead coming in um and all it is is an email address being entered and they just get absolutely rinsed and their pants pulled down because there's, there's no like there you know there's nothing to like quantify it again it's not like you're speaking to them on the phone you can look at open rates and click rates but the reality is when you start dealing with bigger companies and all they're trying to do is spend fifty thousand dollars to fill a crm that they've been given the task to do a lot of the time they're not even sending like the email straight away like they're just filling a database of money that they've spent and then they're going to spend the next six months seeing what like money can be generated from it and the amount of fraud uh, yeah that we see on stuff like that is just huge and it's every single campaign that runs every single campaign on like a big affiliate network that runs of anything like that the amount of fraud you like it's just almost mind-boggling when you just sit there and you're like the numbers involved here are just ridiculous and they just can't stop it like they, they, you know like it's it just seems incredible to me it's funny because i'll talk to companies and go through the same situation where email marketing that's why i said on, on average email marketing is like between 20 and 30 percent it's it's higher than you'd expect but like i said like you're in the space where you're looking at you get it um so what we'll do is we'll we'll set up with companies and we'll walk through it and find it you know we'll benchmark originally they're they're their uh, fraud rate and we'll get a sampling rate just to see how much fraud they're dealing with. Cause I always tell people this year fraud should exceed a hundred billion dollars in stolen funds from advertisers. Mm. So it's not a question of if you have fraud, it's a question of how much fraud you have. So a lot of times we'll do a quick analysis of uh, you just get a baseline of where they are right now, find out exactly how much fraud they have and then come up with a game plan to resolve it. So if it's an email list, we'll help them sanitize the list by checking you know, the response rates and click rate, because what's happening is they'll fill out these bogus email addresses. And then to perpetrate that, they'll throw those into a bot and the bot will answer the email. We'll click on something. We'll go to the landing page. We'll actually do stuff to make it look real, to keep that email address alive long enough to get paid. So what we'll do is we'll help them identify that and then be able to isolate which email addresses are, are, are generating fake traffic versus the ones that generating real traffic so that they can start whittling down their, their thing. But the problem is, Half these people, you know, because in, the, in the affiliate world, the goal is to pay affiliates as fast as possible. You know, affiliates love one day turnaround, seven day turnaround, you know, net 14, something like that. If you go beyond two weeks and paying an affiliate, you're going you're gonna to have a hard time attracting good affiliates. But the same token, you don't have enough time to validate what they're selling you, what you're paying for is real. I, th I think there's another problem, which is um, if you're going to an affiliate network, so let's say, I don't know, you're Ford. And you've got a brochure request campaign or even it could be a test drive because they're not persistently buying leads they're, they're running like campaigns so you know they'll have one month where they'll have like a fifty thousand dollar budget and they're going to spend that in that month and they won't buy leads again for the next year 
the next right. 11 months. And so their exposure to it isn't like a company that persistently buys leads. I, I draw a very strong distinction between those two two types of companies because one is like there is their entire tactic to grow and uh, you know, keep their company going. And the other is just like, you know, it's, it's like changing a TV ad, like it changes constantly. And I think they're the ones that get the most stung because they don't, they're not, it's not something they're persistently doing. So they just see it as like this one-off and then they might not even invest in anything additional because it's like, you know, budget spent and the next 11 months are just going to be doing something else. Um, so I, I always think they're the ones that get like, the most screwed over without a question of a doubt interesting yeah there are different different buying styles of companies and either way that like i said the fraud still needs to be identified but you, like you said the first example where a company is buying um traffic all at once and then utilizing that for the next 11 months you know it, it they still have to pay those affiliates or however they're getting the traffic in month one mm. And by the time they realize it's been it's bad data or fraudulent leads altogether, whatever it is that they're buying, it's usually they've already paid out their affiliate or their source of traffic. And at that point, it's too late. It's like you can't claw back. So I was there, there's typically what where you'll see a lot of affiliates. I'll give you another example. We had a client right before the pandemic was booking 30,000 airline tickets a day through their e-commerce platform. They paid their affiliates out every two weeks, but could take upwards of nine months to identify the fraudulent transactions. So there's a long period of time in there where an affiliate can just defraud the system for months on end and then create other sub accounts, same affiliate, just create other new accounts. So once they eventually get caught and they try to claw back, they're only losing maximum two weeks of pay. Mm -hmm. So they just jump, they already have two or three or four others set up. They're already thinking three or four steps ahead. So they're constantly getting paid while the company is running around trying to figure this out. And that was a big problem for them because they even had, we even had a, a situation where we identified, you know, a transaction as fraud and their head of fraud calls up and says, I think you're wrong on this transaction because the individual actually flew the ticket. And I looked at the data and I said, nah, looking at the back end data, this is definitely entered by a, somebody who wasn't in the country, who doesn't live where you think they are. Like, this is definitely fraud. There, there's no question in my mind, it's fraudulent. And sure enough, three months later, it came back and I got charged back. So they were so brazen enough to jump on a, on a flight <laughs> with fake ID or something to be able to fly that ticket. Wow. I feel, um, I feel like we've definitely um, done what we set out to do. We've, we've uncovered lots of dirty secrets from you there, Rich, um, which is fantastic. Um, also maybe created some panic for the people listening. So I want to bring this back around um, and talk about the prevention side of it and on a relatively positive note, but I kind of want to do it from some from perspective of something you said earlier on, which I found interesting. And we speak to people a lot and they almost, there's this idea that they may be set up for prevention and they kind of think, right, that's done now. My fraud's being sort of taken care of, you know, I'm, and they kind of leave that. But like what you what you said earlier is that fraudsters are constantly getting smarter, constantly evolving in new ways. So I think it's worth just almost reinforcing the fact that this is an ongoing process it's not just like a setup in the league you're in it's like a constant battle to come up with ways to find and detect new fraud um, and i thought that'd be quite a nice way to sort of segue into what you guys do um Nora as well sure so you know when you're talking about detection methods there you know we were on the advertising side you know for the, since 2005 
and or 2003. And we were developing our own system to, you know, we're out there marketing for all kinds of different products and services for lead gen, heavily on the lead gen side. Um, we did a few e-commerce campaigns, but mostly on the lead gen side. And um, we started realizing that there, you started identifying some weird patterns in the data and things just, you know, they just didn't make sense. A gut check said there was something wrong here. So we started looking further and found what we found to be fraud. So we started building our own system to identify the fraud and it worked great. And then it didn't. <laughs> um, as soon as we identified how fraud is a month later, two months later, all of a sudden, I guess they caught on to what we were doing and then be able to circumvent that. And so we made another version and then we made another version and it became this cat and mouse game of constantly trying to stay, you know, one or two steps ahead of them as best we could. And we developed something that, uh, and a system and a process that works really, really well. And that took us, took us about 10 years to really hone down and get this, this technology to the point where it was very, very accurate. In fact, we're the only solution in the market to achieve a greater than 99.999% accuracy rating when identifying fraud. Typically, one of the dirty secrets in our, in our ebooks here talk about how the average fraud solution walking around has 10% false positives. So that's losing big money. Um, so essentially what we did was after 10 years, we're sitting here doing this. All of a sudden we looked up and realized, wow, there's a market for this. So essentially at the beginning of the day, when we first realized there was fraud, I'm like, you know, I've been dealing with fraud for the last decade. I understand there's gotta be a solution out in the marketplace. Let me just buy it, bolt it onto what we're doing and call it a day. You know, I want to be a client of ours, right? We did the, did the research and, and actually there was no fraud solutions out in the marketplace that you could buy. There was just nothing existed. I looked high and low because I knew the undertaking of putting one together. That's what started the process thing. Okay, we have no choice, put it together. Then 10 years later, I looked up and realized, oh shoot, there's a market for this. So, you know, everybody's calling on a woodwork, building these solutions. Let's test ours against what's in the marketplace and see if it's worth bringing this one to market. We tested up, we did a, a, a year long study and I spent, I don't know, $100,000 of my own money just testing budgets so we can actually buy traffic from different networks, run it through four or five different filters and see which one worked the best. Mm -hmm. We realized we had an advantage over our competitors and we decided let's launch this as a new program. Took us, uh, from that point, took us about a year to put the whole thing together, slap on a really, really slick uh, user interface. And then we launched in 2017. And we've gone head to head with, I don't know, dozens of different fraud solutions in the marketplace. And when it comes tech for tech, we have yet to lose a test, proving accuracy and thoroughness of the solution. Um, you know, people, you know, it doesn't mean we win every contract, obviously. It's just like everything else. People maybe have a better experience with a salesperson over there. Maybe they know somebody at the other company. Maybe there's a feature that another company has that we don't have. You know, there's other reasons why, you know, we don't win every contract. But like I said, it's, we're out there in the market helping to fight the good fight and doing it the right way. Yeah, it's kind, of, it's kind of a similar story to us, I think, in some ways. I just want to tell you something that happened to us because it reminded me when you said you built something that stopped working. Um, we started doing double opt-in uh, verification of like affiliate leads coming in. And when we very first did it, it started working really well, right? So email affiliate sign up, we'd send them an email going, click this button um, to confirm your you know entry or whatever it was. And they click it and only at that point would we post the lead out. And um, what we suddenly, one day we were sat there and we're like, this is working great. You know, volumes have gone down like 40%. So we're getting rid of the fraud and whatever else. And one day, a lead fired with this like double opt-in as if it had done it. But it was a lead that wasn't even involved in a double opt-in campaign, right? So we went into it, we were like, 
how the fuck has this happened? And what we realized is that when um, you could, in the back end of the form, figure out where the lead was forwarding to. And what we were using was the lead ID that if you like uh, got some curl around the back and grabbed it when you submitted the lead, we were using that as a part of the link to submit the double opt-in because it just acts like a lead update API back to that lead to then verify, you know, like true one, bang, send out. And so what happened is the fraudster or fraudsters, whoever, must have put the wrong digit in on the lead ID that was meant to fire. And they were, I don't know how long they were doing this for. And so it fired the wrong lead. And it was only at that point we went, holy shit, they figured out how to, they've created a bot that's actually, they've got a human doing the submission of the data, a bot grabbing the lead ID of the forwarding, and then a bot going to the email they receive and or a person and clicking it and replacing the lead ID in the part of the URL it was in. And yep. I was like, that's pretty, you know, because you, you've got to have like quite a few different steps running to, to be able to do this. Um, but then we, we realized, shit, like these fraudsters can figure any of this sort of shit out. We need to be able to change this so that they can't do the double. So that, you know, that's like a, a classic way of people um, catching fraud or whatever is doing double opting. But bots, people, they will get around it if you don't put something in place to stop. And even then, they probably will. So you then have to do something else, you know. Um, but it just reminded me when you said you've got something working and it suddenly stopped. And that's what you got to realize. Don't underestimate the fraudster. Yeah. They are very intelligent and they're going after a billion dollar, a hundred billion dollar pie. Mm. There's a lot of it. And again, there's no, there's right now, at least in the United States, there's no law against it. So <clears throat> internationally, if you're committing law uh, for, uh, fraud internationally, we came across this. Interpol has a minimum of $800,000 in stolen funds in order to to get involved mm. we, we tried it we had, we had somebody um committing fraud against our, our our company at one point and we pinpointed who they were and we wanted to go after them and interpol stepped in and said you know unless you can prove eight hundred thousand stolen we can't get involved because we just we have to have we have to have minimum thresholds otherwise you know we don't have the resources to go after everybody under that so they know the laws and there's very few that affect them because there's nothing on the books that says this is what you, when you're committing ad fraud or this, whatever, however you want to define it, this is the law that you're breaking. Mm. So a lot of times when they catch people committing fraud at high levels, high enough levels, they'll catch them for, you know, wire fraud, tax evasion. They'll catch them for something else, but there's no book, there's no law in the book. So you've got no laws against it. A hundred billion dollar a year payout to, you know, to the organ, to anybody committing fraud. There's a big incentive to do it and hire the best and brightest to try to get around any system out there where they can make money. And like I say, if you make it difficult difficult enough, they'll just go on to somebody else. Just like, yeah. it's like a, a thief in the night, right? They, they, they walk up to the door of a house, they see a dog, they see it protected by, you know, some alarm company, they just go to the next guy's house. Yeah. They just find another, it's easy enough. I mean, you, why, why make your job difficult? Yeah. I agree. Good, that's a very good analogy. And um, also, I just want to repeat one thing you said there, because this could have been a title in its own uh, for a different podcast in it later on. Don't underestimate the fraudster. I'm going to I'm going to pinch that as well and use that. I thought um, I thought you were going to say thief, thief in the night. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like I need only a context out of that. I might think I'm writing a book or something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's two great titles. And Rich, you've been an absolute pleasure to um, have you back on the show and to be able to speak to you for a little bit longer this time than we managed in London. Um, that was episode 75. 
the dirty secrets of ad fraud. Thanks for listening to the B2C Lead Generation Podcast. Be sure to hit subscribe to hear more from those at the very cutting edge of the lead gen world.